In Zechariah chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we have the sixth vision. And in this vision, the prophet sees a flying scroll, and then the angel interprets it for him, explains it for him. Then in verses 5 to 11, we have the seventh vision, which relates to an ephah with wickedness in it. And then this wickedness is deported or transported from the land of Judah to the land of Shinar, that is the land of Babylon. In vision number six, which is our study now, vision number six, verses one to four, the prophet and the people are reminded of the righteous punishment of God on their land, on their country, the righteous punishment of God. But Then verses 5 to 11 are meant to encourage the people. After showing them the righteousness of God in verses 1 to 4, the grace of God, which takes wickedness away, sends it away from their land to another land, um, outside and far away, hundreds of miles away. So verses 1 to 4 begin with verse 1, and the prophet lifting up his eyes again and looking. Why is he lifting up his eyes? Probably because he was in contemplation, meditation, based on the previous vision of the lampstand, the olive trees, the golden pipes, the lights, the oil. He was thinking about the interpretation of that. And then he is aroused or jolted to look up again. And looking up again with his eyes is a symbol of looking heavenward, seeing what God has to say. And what does he see? A flying scroll. Scrolls don't fly. Scrolls or rolls or volumes, they don't fly. And this scroll would have been like a cylinder, parchment written on the surface of the parchment, and then the parchment rolled up into a cylinder form or a roll. That's why it's called a roll because that's the way books were written in ancient times. And that's what he sees. But these are usually in the hands of men or on the shelves of men, but they are not flying. This one is flying. Verse 2, And he said to me, What do you see? Everybody knows what it is, but the angel carries on a dialogue in order to bring out what's going on in the mind of the prophet so that we have it in words. And that's why he answers. He says, I answered, I see a flying scroll. He sees what is actually there, but also he gives its dimensions. 20 cubits by 10 cubits. The length of 20 and the width of 10. A cubit was typically about 18 inches, which means that this scroll is 30 feet long and 15 wide, 30 by 15. And interpreters have speculated as to why it is 30 by 15. The closest that we come to understanding what this might signify is in 1 Kings 6, verse 3 where Solomon's temple, the porch in front of the nave of the house, the porch in front of the nave of the house, of the temple, 
1 Kings 6.3 says, It was 20 cubits in length, corresponding to the width of the house, and its depth along the front of the house was 10 cubits. These dimensions perhaps would remind students of the temple, of the temple, this dimension of the temple, so that what is being revealed is coming from God, the holy temple of God. The earthly temple being a symbol of the heavenly temple, so that this is coming from God. The flying scroll is coming from the holy temple of God. Therefore, pay attention. And this vision, therefore, has to do with holiness and righteousness. Verse 3, Then he said to me, This is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. The scroll is now called a curse because the stipulations on the scroll have been violated, violated by the participants in the covenant, and therefore there's a curse. The covenant comes with blessings and cursings. And because they have transgressed the covenant, therefore there's a curse, a valid, legitimate, righteous curse as a consequence or punishment for the sins of the people. And this curse is going forth over the face of the whole land. Not just a part of the land or some of the people behaved wickedly, but all the people throughout the whole country were wicked. And that's why the whole country was destroyed and devastated in the previous generation before Zechariah by the Babylonians. God's explaining how their sins deserved a curse. So the devastation and destruction of their nation was justified. It was justified in the sight of God because God uh, was the punisher of their sins. Well, what were their sins? Well, two sins, two common sins, are mentioned in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. The one who steals and the one who swears. Stealing was a sin in the second part of the Ten Commandments. In the second table of the law, stealing was one of the sins. That was the Eighth Commandment. And also, it says, everyone who swears will be purged away, according to the writing on the other side. The writing on the other side would be the first table of the law, the first four of the Ten Commandments. And the third commandment, the third one was, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And that's what he's describing here. Swearing by the use of the name of the Lord, but swearing falsely, doing it wrongly, not doing it correctly, but wrongly. And these are the two sins illustrating their breakage of the Ten Commandments. 
they broke the first part, those four commandments that relate to God, the last six, which relate to one another. They have failed to love God according to the greatest commandment, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And they also failed to keep the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For one who steals is failing to love his neighbor as himself. Leviticus 19.18 and 19.34. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They broke both parts. Also, we notice that the prophet has fronted stealing. Not that stealing is more important than swearing or more egregious than swearing, but like the apostles do often, they put forward our transgressions against one another as an illustration, as proof that we really don't love God. That's why he probably put stealing before swearing. Also, we notice he's not talking about the severity of the sins. He's just talking about the fact that they sinned because every sin deserves death. That's all he's meaning. He's not meaning that one sin is more egregious than another sin. He's not addressing that subject in this passage. He's just saying, you have sinned in many ways and you deserve a curse. You deserve death because of your sins. The writing on both sides of this scroll is alluding to Exodus 32, 15, and 16. Exodus 32, 15, and 16. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, the tablets which were written on both sides They were written on one side and the other. And the tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. These are the tablets of the Ten Commandments, written on both sides by God. Written on both sides by God, God is the author. He's the author and personal inscriber of these Ten Commandments, showing their holiness, showing their authority, showing their majesty, showing their reliability, and showing their accountability to God who wrote it for them. Then we come to verse 4. I will make it go forth declares the Lord of hosts. I will make it go forth. He's going to make what go forth? The curse. The curse has been announced and the curse will go forth and accomplish its purpose. It will go forth and accomplish its purpose. And who will accomplish it? The Lord of hosts. Host means that God is the God of armies, angelic and human and natural armies that do the bidding of God. Whatever God wants, 
they will do it, and immediately, if he so chooses. An innumerable host of armies he has. Then, look at who they punish. And it will, or what they punish, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. There, more clearly, we have an explanation as to what swearing meant in verse 3. In verse 4, swearing falsely by my name. That is, they took up oaths, they used the name of the Lord, whether in court, and if they broke it in court and misused it in court, then it would be perjury, or in daily life, they are misusing taking God's name in vain, therefore they are swearing falsely. They're attaching themselves to the name of God, but not in truth and righteousness. Therefore, it's false. So these people, it says, and it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timber and stones. The curse is going to spend the night and consume the house, the timber and stones. That means that it has overnight work. Where else do we read of overnight work, God's overnight work? That was also in the Passover. In the Passover, when God went throughout the land at night, he destroyed the households that did not have blood, that did not sprinkle the blood at the door. Remember that? The angel of death went through the whole land overnight and completed a devastation of the land of Egypt. That's Exodus 12, 1 to 14. Exodus 12, 1 to to 14. For example, it says in 12:12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. He says he will go through the land on that night. God is the punisher, and he's destroying everything, everyone, everything in the, in the household of the unrepentant sinner, which is practically what God did with all of the inhabitants during the time of the Babylonians. He wiped out the whole nation, didn't leave them anything, practically nothing. A thorough punishment from God. All right, now let's review some of the points here that we've made. Uh, The first one is in verse 3. This curse. This curse was not a novel curse. It didn't come up overnight. But it was announced many years in advance by Moses. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six. 
See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today, by following other gods which you have not known. And it shall come about, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, that you shall place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not across the Jordan, west of the way toward the sunset, in the land of the Canaanites, who live in the Araba, opposite Gilgal, beside the Oaks of Moreh? For you are about to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall possess it and live in it. And you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the judgments which I am setting before you today. We then go to chapter 27. Chapter 27 of Deuteronomy. In 27, 1 to 8, Moses charges the people when they enter the land, as he described in chapter 11, when they enter the land to write his commandments on stones coated with lime very distinctly. He told them to do that so that it might be a public display, a public manifestation of what they ought to do. Then, before they actually do go there, he calls on them to arrange their tribes on two mountains, which were already mentioned in chapter 11, Gerizim and Ebal. Some of the tribes on Gerizim and other tribes on Ebal. And what were they supposed to say or call out or agree with? The Levites, it says in verse 14, 27, 14, the Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, the following, Cursed is the man who makes an idol, or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Isn't that verse 17, theft, a form of theft? Verse 18, Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, because he hasn't covered his father's skirt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. What did Moses do in verse 26? He put everybody under a curse immediately. Because the moment they say amen, they agree to it and they're under a curse. He put them all, and that, that's, that's not just Moses, that's God through Moses putting all the people under a curse immediately.
then this was actually fulfilled uh, in Joshua chapter 8, 30 to 35. Joshua wrote these words on stones and he had the tribes stationed and he recounted all this. This is what he did in Joshua 8, 30 to 35. So they actually did conduct this ritual and put a curse on themselves when they entered the land of Canaan. They, however, did not listen. They did not listen. And Jeremiah, our next point, Jeremiah explains how completely corrupt they became. Jeremiah. We'll start in Jeremiah chapter 5. This is explaining why the curse or the scroll, the flying scroll, was such a large scroll that was like a banner going across the land. So it's showing all the people of the land that every single one of them were under a curse. Okay? So Jeremiah will confirm to us that every single one of them. Jeremiah 5, 1. 5, 1. to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem, and look now, and take note, and seek in her open squares, if you can find a man, if there is one who does justice, who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. And although they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have smitten them, but they did not weaken. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Verse 4. Then I said, They are only the poor. They are foolish. For they do not know the way of the Lord or the ordinance of their God. I will go to the great and will speak to them. For they know the way of the Lord and the ordinance of their God. But they too, with one accord, have broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the deserts shall destroy them. A leopard is watching their cities, every one who goes out of them shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many, their apostasies are numerous. Jeremiah 8, Jeremiah 8, 4, 8, 4 to 12, Jeremiah 8, verse 4. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn away and not repent? Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened and heard. They have spoken what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Every one turned to his course like a horse charging into the battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the ordinance of the Lord. How can you say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. 
the wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to new owners, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. And they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace. But there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, and they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, declares the Lord. Chapter 9, Jeremiah 9, 1 to 6, 9, 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go from them. For all of them are adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongue like their bow. Lies and not truth prevail in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone be on guard against his brother and do not trust any brother because every brother deals craftily and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer and everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. Your deceit is in the midst of your dwelling is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me declares the Lord. All of them, they don't know God. And 13, 19 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 13, 19. The cities of the Negev have been locked up and there is no one to open them. All Judah has been carried into exile, wholly carried into exile. All Judah wholly carried into exile. Every one of them corrupt and evil. Another prophet who lived in the time of Jeremiah and witnessed the same is the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22. Let's begin at verse 23. 22, 23 to 31. Ezekiel 22:23. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane, and they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey. 
by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. And I searched for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Widespread punishment because everybody was wicked. All right, now also in Zechariah 5, 3 to 4, we have another issue, and that is, if we read the Bible quickly and superficially, we may misinterpret. That's why we have to read carefully, study, double-check, cross-reference, and make sure we understand, especially reading passages in context. For example, a common misunderstanding and distortion of Scripture a sin, is saying that Christians are prohibited from swearing oaths. They cannot swear oaths or make vows. That is forbidden. It's forbidden in the New Testament. It might, may have been permitted in the Old, but it's forbidden in the New. And there are some people within Christianity who say so. Those who are Mennonites, some Baptists, and others, like, let's say, cultists, more extreme um, heretics like Jehovah's Witnesses, these kinds of groups will say, you cannot swear oaths, you cannot participate in anything of that nature. And even for going to court or being installed into an office, you cannot make any kind of solemn oath. You, have to, you can just say yes or no, but you can't do anything more. Okay? And they take it from passages like Zechariah 5.3. Everyone who swears will be purged away. However, we understand the meaning of the prophet by reading verse 4. He means swearing falsely by my name. Swearing falsely by my name. He doesn't mean swearing in any and every situation. He means swearing falsely by my name. Keep our place in Zechariah and turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. This is the second place, and actually the main place, where this false interpretation arises. Matthew five thirty three to 37. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. 
But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. And anything beyond these is of the evil one. Did Christ mean by this that no oath should be made at all? Make no oath at all in any and every circumstance? Or is he talking about false oaths? Well, verse 33 says false vows. So he's talking about false ones. Don't be in the habit of swearing oaths and not keeping what you swear. Rather, let your character be so honest that if you say yes, it means yes. So he's emphasizing the need for good character, an honest mouth, but he's not preaching or addressing the subject of whether it's permitted to swear or not in every and any circumstance. Another place where we might find a misinterpretation is James 5.12. James 5.12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So that you may not fall under judgment. If we're going to avoid judgment... By the words we speak, well, there would be a more severe judgment if we swore an oath, but rather just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Okay, now let's look at a couple of um, illustrations of how Scripture cannot contradict Scripture. In Matthew 5, Christ said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Correct? Did he mean, do not swear under any circumstance? No. Because if he did mean it, he transgressed it in Matthew 26. And Jesus never sinned. So he didn't transgress what he meant in Matthew 5. Matthew 26. Christ is before the high priest who is interrogating him. It begins at verse 57, Matthew 26, 57. Then we pick it up at verse 62, 26, 62. And the high priest stood up and said to him, Do you make no answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe, saying, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is deserving of death. 
and they proceed. All right, well, the high priest, did he put Christ under oath? It's in a court. It's a religious court, but it's still a court. Did he put Christ under oath? And did Christ submit to that oath, being put under oath? He kept silent up to that point, right? Up to verse 63. But verse 63, the priest says, I adjure you by the living God. An adjuration or to adjure means to put one under oath. So the high priest put Christ under oath and he obliged by telling the priest the truth. But Jesus didn't sin. There's no way he sinned. Also, even in the Old Testament, there are clarifications of what is meant. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delights in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Well, if one feared God, he would not be hasty in the presence of God, right? And also, when he makes a vow to God, he would not be late in paying it. Does he forbid, in verse 4, making a vow? No. He's saying, if you do make a vow, when you make a vow, you better pay it. But it's even better, lest you not pay, as you said, It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So there too, he is mitigating vow making by saying, if you think, if you suspect you're not going to fulfill it, then just don't make the vow. That would be similar to Christ and James in Matthew 5 and James 5. All right, and then finally, in Zechariah 5, verse 4. The curse of God enters the house of the thief and the false swearer and consumes everything. That's showing that God's curse goes into the inner rooms, goes into every room, and finds every part where sin is and destroys sin wherever sin has wreaked 
destruction. God does that. And we notice in verse 3 that these sins will be purged away. What does it mean to be purged? To purge, does that not mean to cleanse or to purify, to purge? Well, there was a symbol in the Old Testament of the need to purge a house. And that symbol was a symbol of sin. And when that symbol of sin spread rapidly, did not withdraw, did not recede, then the whole house was cursed as a symbol of the fact that sin spreads. And when it spreads, a curse must be on the house. We find that in Leviticus 14. Leviticus 14, 33. Leviticus 14, 33. 33 to 47. This is the mark of leprosy on a, on a man. If leprosy is on a man, the priest was to analyze it, examine it, and deal with it accordingly. But what if it spread throughout the house? Look at verse 43 now. 33 to 42 describes a partial or, or partial damage, but 43 to 47, full damage. Verse 43. If, however, the mark breaks out again in the house after he has torn out the stones and scraped the house and after it has been replastered, then the priest shall come in and make an inspection. If he sees that the mark has indeed spread in the house, it is a malignant mark in the house. It is unclean. He shall therefore tear down the house, its stones and its timbers and all the plaster of the house and he shall take them outside the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever goes into the house during the time that he has quarantined it becomes unclean until evening. Likewise, whoever lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. So the house was to be torn down, according to verse 45. The house, its stones, and its timbers... Zechariah mentioned the timbers and the stones, that God would even uproot and get rid of the whole house of the unrepentant sinner. Now, God's saying he's going to do this, but God often uses agents to do that, right? Like he did the Babylonians against the Judeans. Well, Ezra chapter 6, Ezra chapter 6, this concept of Punishing the sinner or punishing the criminal was also known to the Persians and it extended all the way to the house. Ezra chapter 6. The king makes a decree, issues a decree favorable to Ezra and the Jews. And this is what he says. This is what he says is the punishment for those who transgress the decree of the king favorable 
to the Jews and the God of the Jews. We pick it up in verse 11. 11 and 12. Ezra 6, 11. And I issued a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber shall be drawn from his house, and he shall be impaled on it. And his house shall be made a refuse heap on account of this. And may the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to change it, so as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out with all diligence. Darius, the pagan, says this. Daniel chapter 2. The book of Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar also said this on a couple of occasions. Daniel chapter 2, verse 5. This was a threat against his own wise men, sorcerers, if they couldn't declare the interpretation of his dream. Make it known and the interpretation. Daniel 2, 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans. Chaldeans is another term for the wise men and magicians of Babylon. The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. And Daniel 3, Daniel 3, 29. Daniel 3, 28 to 30, we'll read. This is on behalf of Daniel's three friends after they are delivered from the fire. Daniel 3, 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Is sin a disease that spreads through the house? Therefore, the whole house has to be destroyed. Look at 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Second Timothy 2, 14 to 21 especially verses 16 to 19 and also verse 20, but 14 to 21 of 2 Timothy 2. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. What is the worldly and empty chatter he means? 17. 
and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. These false teachers were spreading a falsehood about the resurrection. They were distorting the true meaning of the word resurrection, wrangling about words. And this is called worldly and empty chatter. And their talk will spread like gangrene. When gangrene spreads, it destroys the whole body, right? Well, sin is this way. It spreads throughout the whole body, and then it spreads to other bodies in the same house. So then the whole house has to be destroyed. This is the just penalty on the people for their sins. And this penalty as we just saw from this example in 2 Timothy, that this is applicable even now to Christians. Whether it's a little leaven as a symbol of sin, or whether it's a disease like gangrene that's a symbol of sin, if it spreads, it spreads to everyone, and everyone is punished. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.